The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. The U.S. equity rally stalls with the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq closing lower ahead of Wednesday's key inflation report. Sentiment taking another hit as chipmaker Nvidian warns uh, second quarter revenue will come in lower than expected due to slowing gaming sales. Chinese authorities impose COVID lockdowns in parts of Tibet and Xinjiang a day after Beijing locks down the tourist hotspot of Hainan amid further flare-ups in the virus. Norway warns it could curb electricity exports to Europe, exacerbating an already tight energy market, with the country's government needing to refill its reservoirs amid a lack of rainfall. Notable caution in the market still yesterday as investors count down to the CPI numbers this week on Wednesday. We had that jobs report and the shadow of that report from the Friday session lingering Monday. And you could see a very mixed picture, not a huge stray from the flat line for the Dow moving higher by less than a tenth of a percent and a slight slippage across on the S&P and for tech stocks contained on the Nasdaq. Investors still eyeing earnings as well. It was the tech sector that was actually one of the laggards. Take a look across the board at NVIDIA giving us a bit of a, an estimate Estimates earnings update ahead of its release in two weeks' time, telling us that the COVID trends have well and truly faded and that effectively gaming revenue will be down 33% on the same time a year ago. So the uh, picture that NVIDIA was spelling out, uh, similar across the tech sector, we've seen the show and tell of earnings season that some of the numbers are starting to fade from the highs that we've had in recent years. And you can see uh, the overall mix of uh, stocks, NVIDIA down 6.3%. Despite this uh, bleak picture you're seeing, in fact, uh, FANG Plus stocks actually eking out more gains. Ninth straight session of gains for those FANG Plus stocks. But it was patches, you could see Meta was up 1.8%, Apple trading down by about a third of a percent. A quick look at Treasuries, a little bit of a spread narrowing is what we witnessed in session this time round. We've uh, seen investors refocus on some of the geopolitics, concerns over the sabre rattling from China, put a bit back into uh, the yields. You can see 2.75% on the 10-year, the long end. Uh, we're still perched high at the short end as investors again, pricing the likelihood of that 75 basis point follow-up increase from the Fed in September. But numbers this week on the CPI will be crucial for the bond market. So we're closely watching that. Let me take you to the dollar. This is how we approached at this hour. We're at 120.81 still on sterling dollar. Uh, that is a fairly stable picture. 110.93 on euro dollar. We are also just drifting off on uh, dollar yen rates. Dollar yuan a little bit support at this stage. Elsewhere on the commodities picture, we had that uh, brutal uh, pounding for the sector for the commodities complex last week. And as we see on uh, WTI and Brent over the course of the trade today, we are still moving south. 90 the handle we're holding on to on WTI, but uh, we are down two tenths of a percent. Brent prices also showing some slippage and sitting below comfortably below that $100 a barrel mark. That is uh, critical for a lot of emerging markets in particular that have been eyeing this pullback that we've witnessed in the price of some of the commodities over the past week or so. We're now down 3.5%. Let me take you to SoftBank. 
And to Asia market, one of the big movers for the Japanese stock market today has been SoftBank. You can see that market down nine uh, tenths of a percent, almost one percent, six tenths higher though for the Hong Kong market. So patches of green around the Chinese stock market, Australia just on the flat line. But just delving a little further into those SoftBank moves, we saw a slump in early trade as investors reacted to a very sizable loss posted from the company early on, actually in our session yesterday. Uh, the market uh, reeling from the sort of returns we witnessed from what was of course one of the big investors in the tech space pulling back a more defensive uh, type of approach in recent uh, times but uh, what we've seen of course has been losses uh, just uh, racked up to the tune of 3.1 trillion yen and uh, that is a huge turnaround from the gains that many investors had hoped for but uh, clearly an impact on the market seven percent down on SoftBank stock at this stage opening calls uh, this is how we're setting up across the board we are chasing a fairly uh, soggy picture across on the core markets from the UK to Germany to France chasing 54 on the upside though for the Italian stock market seems to be slightly out of kilter with the rest of the trades this morning but it seems to be a little bit uh, of a soft trade that we're waking up for this morning today Jeff. Karen, thank you very much indeed for that. Well, complicated picture, isn't it? And I think uh, the latest bit of information we've had around inflation just making things even more difficult to understand. U.S. consumer inflation expectations have apparently dropped off sharply. This according to the latest New York Fed survey. It could see Federal Reserve policymakers begin to loosen their grip on aggressive rate hikes by the year's end. Well, survey respondents expect inflation to run at 6.2% over the next 12 months and 3.2% across the next three years. Whilst that is still obviously historically high, the figures show a marked decrease from last month's expectations thanks to a drop in fuel prices and uh, expectations around food and housing prices. The thought is that those will cool rapidly. But we will have to wait and watch, won't we? Because investors will be looking for signs of any potential peak in the inflation data we will see from the US tomorrow. We've had um, a significant series of hikes from the Federal Reserve, 225 basis points. According to Reuters forecasts, the latest consumer price index figure for July is expected to point to an annual rise of 8.9%. That is down slightly from June's figure of 9.1%. Quite a scene setter for this week. Varaj Patel joins us, global market uh, macro strategist at Vanda Research. Thank you very much for joining us, Varaj. We've got the dollar just lurking off some of its uh, highs that we've seen in recent times. Can you just give us a sense of uh, what we're likely to see around the CPI and what reaction you could expect in the dollar at this point? Yeah, outside of the dollar, there's really slim pickings in the FX world. Um, it's really hard to find a, a currency that's not on the verge of being a basket case or one that is already. So, you know, I think the dollar is really going to react to the, the Fed story. Um, and I think there is uh, some risk of an upside surprise. We saw that with the payrolls reaction as well. Um, you know, market the Fed hawks slowly coming back into the markets as those uh, signs of a US recession get effectively pushed back. And a, a, big, a, a stickier CPI print will only just reinforce those sort of front-loaded rate hike arguments, and, and that's a world where the dollar wins.
Viraj, we're hearing yesterday from uh, one of the fund managers that there really is almost only one game in town, this barbell approach, and that you've uh, got uh, money effectively parked into treasuries, into cash and in the United States, but also on the other side into U.S. equities. What sort of positioning is this doing when it comes to the dollar as a lot of investors are just chasing U.S. assets at this stage? Yeah, it's uh, the, I mean, the dollar and U.S. assets are really the defensive place to hide, both from a haven's perspective. Treasuries, you know, from our from our uh, you know textbook suggests that uh, that's the haven to go to. You know, you don't want to be investing in European government bonds right now. Implied volatility, both from a political and geopolitical perspective, is really high. So, you know, uh, treasuries are defensive. U.S. tech is defensive. I mean, the dollar just really is a a flow story right now, picking up that sort of US uh, outperforming the rest of the world story. And then on the flip side, if things do get really worse from here, if some of those geopolitical risks come to fruition, uh, the dollar just flips the switch and becomes a haven. So, you know, two out of three scenarios that we see are, are dollar positive right now, only this scenario of a benign soft landing for the world economy, which really seems like a low probability event now, is one where the dollar sort of fades. I mean, look, we, we do want to be selective here. We do think the dollar's had a good run, you know, picking sort of um, other types of havens as well. The yen, for example, uh, 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 one of our favorite sort of ways to start also adding exposure because we think the market may be caught wrong-footed by being particularly bearish on the yen. So I don't think this is just a dollar story, but equally, you know, it's really hard to find uh, another currency to sort of start adding risk to. Viraj, but this is a very complicated story. And you say, well, the treasuries could be defensive here, but I don't understand how the treasuries can be defensive. Even as we we saw that um, New York survey yesterday, um, and it talked about a rapid drop in inflation expectations, but it still then discussed 6.2% over the rest of this year and 3.2% over three years. Now, that is ahead of the market's expected view of the neutral rate being somewhere around two and uh, three quarters of one percent or 2.75 percent. When the mandate for the Fed is to get us to something like two percent. So doesn't that imply that actually the Fed is going to have to do a little bit more here, even as the market is trying to predict peak inflation? 100% 100% agree, but I think flatness are the way to think about this. I mean, the front end of the US Treasury curve, you know, I think we think the bearish activity will be really largely concentrated there. We saw that last week, you know, effectively in our flows data, you know, shorts around the two year part of the curve picking up pretty significantly. But it seems that longer dated bond yields are starting to now take more. Uh, a, a more of a longer run uh, inflation expectations view. As you rightly said, you know, two to three years out, inflation is expected to sort of drop back down towards that two to three percent level. And therefore, a two to three percent 10 year yield pretty much is consistent with that, uh, you know, on a net net basis. So I think from our perspective, you know, that flattening bias is the way to think about it. You know, we are looking to extract alpha from the fixed income world. You know, starting to be, uh, you know, short some of the front end of the very front end of the U.S. rates market. You know, to to extract that mispricing, as you exactly said, the Fed probably has to go slightly more aggressive than what the markets are pricing in. But I think from a longer dated bond yields perspective, just given the geopolitical overhang, given the real risk of a hard landing here, I think there's a high hurdle for for those bears to come back in the longer a longer dated part of the market. Viraj, let me take you to the UK because um, I I looked at your note from the 1st of August and you were looking at a 25 basis point hike. We know the bank did more than that and um, 
put out a very, very bleak scenario for growth for the UK over, what, five quarters. As you look at that decision, one, um, do you think in hindsight it was a mistake? And two, how does it now change your view of how you can make money in sterling assets? Yeah, what, what I learned from the Bank of England last week is that you can effectively rip up any sort of modern day theories around central banking. This is a completely different regime. You know, it's effectively what the textbooks tell you not to do. You know, focus all your attention on inflation and give zero weighting to sort of the growth and unemployment side of your mandate. But that's effectively what the Bank of England are doing here. And I think to some extent, you know, central banks will be different. But what, what we're learning, and I think what I've learned significantly is that Central banks are willing to chance the risk of a hard landing to effectively be seen to be fighting inflation. And I think that, you know, this was almost reminiscent of what we saw in the run up to the GFC, where we saw those rate hikes and aggressive rate hikes into a recession. Um, and investors probably don't think that this is going to end quite well, I guess, for, for UK assets and, and global assets in particular. So, you know, you can see this from the longer dated part of the UK bond curve, gilt yields, they rarely barely moved higher they actually rallied on the day that you saw that 50 basis point hike come through i think you know you know uh, investors will largely want to seek uh, havens and i think want to flock to safety because really the, what what we learned from this is that the chance of a hard landing in the uk and things going horribly wrong have just increased massively Speaking of hard landings, Raj, can we ask you about the euro? It's wedged just above parity at this point. We've had the ECB, of course, unveiling a whole heap of uh, detail around this anti-fragmentation tool, but also moving on rates. What's your expectation of euro from here based on policy? And of course, these concerns around energy still. Yeah, we're not we're not overly constructive on the euro, but equally, I think a lot of bad news, as we maybe discussed a month ago, uh, was pretty much baked into the euro down here at parity. So you know, for us to get even more uh, sort of bearish on the euro, and, and there is room from it from a flow of positioning perspective, I think we do need to see some more bearish headlines coming through around the energy crisis. Um, that's not something that we can't rule out. But equally, I think, you know, maybe we're on a bit of a pause and hiatus here as we head into September. Look, the landscape looks pretty tricky as we head into September. Not only do we, do we have an ECB stuck in a bind, we have those Italian politics uh, and elections coming up late September. So I think the narrative is only going to get slightly more messy for the euro. And I think that's one, one, one reason not to be overly constructive chasing euro higher here. But I think, you know, I think maybe just uh, you know, scaling into shorts, allowing for some sort of tactical bounce and then maybe sort of uh, turning sellers of euro dollar around 104 is our sort of preferred approach right now. Um, just to pick up on that, um, the Italian situation does look quite messy at the moment. Um, we're watching that Bund BTP spread very closely to see how the market feels about that. Do you have any concerns at this point about the effectiveness of the anti-fragmentation tool and the willingness of the market to take the ECB on and start stretching that yield spread? Yeah, we have a high conviction view that, that things are going to get worse there. So, you know, our worst case scenario for BTP print spreads is we touch 300. Um, and that's not a scenario that we want to rule out as we head into summer, uh, September, those September elections. So, you know, I think the worst case scenario here for the ECB is that we stay in this stagflationary environment where inflation stays sticky, growth is holding on to some extent, and they're slow to pivot. They're slow to use their balance sheet. They're slow to use this anti-fragmentation tool. And effectively, the worst happens before the ECB comes in and saves the market. I think that's probably the path of least resistance for us. 
we think that that's most likely to go to happen, you know, effectively in a short span of one to two months. And we look at the dry powder from the bond market and sort of BTP shorts coming back online. I think it's going to be the, the sort of number one macro trader amongst fixed income investors come September when everyone's back back to school. Viraj, good to see you. Thanks so much for the analysis this morning. Viraj Patel, global macro strategist at Vanda Research. Um, just to point out, you can read more on the New York Fed's latest inflation forecasts and what it could mean for September's Federal Reserve meeting. That is online at cnbc.com. Still to come, Taiwan's foreign minister speaks out as China continues military exercises in the region. We'll catch up on the latest when we come back. And for more on the challenges facing the U.S. economy ahead of Wednesday's key inflation report, you can check out the Squawkbox podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Taiwan's Foreign Minister Joseph Wu has accused China of looking for excuses to conduct its military exercises, including U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to the region. In response, Taiwan held live-fire artillery drills in Pingtung, county on its east-southeastern coast. Now, officials said the exercises were being held to test its combat readiness in response to any potential threats. President Biden was asked whether he was worried about China's behavior towards Taiwan and whether it was wise for the speaker to visit the island. I'm not worried, but I'm concerned that they're moving as much as they are. But I don't think they're going to do anything more. Was a wise move of the speaker to go to Taiwan? That was her decision. Well, China has enforced new lockdowns in the western regions of Tibet and Xinjiang. Authorities locked down Tibet's second largest city, Jigast, for three days in, uh, on Sunday after 18 COVID cases were discovered there. Elsewhere, around 180,000 tourists are in lockdown in Hainan, which is a popular tourist destination on the south coast as provincial authorities try to eliminate an outbreak there. Sam has the latest. China's beach resort province of Hainan is the latest COVID hotspot, the island locking down several areas and carrying out mass testing as it battles its worst outbreak so far. Hainan province has been relatively unscathed since the start of the pandemic. It reportedly only recorded two symptomatic cases last year, but has seen more than 1,500 infections just this month alone. At least nine areas, home to about 7 million people, are now urging residents not to leave their homes unless necessary. Transport has also been suspended. Now, this comes as China, of course, has been relaxing travel rules in recent months, even as it battles more contagious variants. Hainan, of course, is a popular destination for beachgoers. It's sometimes referred to as China's Hawaii, the outbreak coming during the peak season there at the height of the summer holidays. Reports suggesting thousands of tourists have been left stranded. Now, the gambling hub of Macau has also been carried 
carrying out testing in recent days after one case who travelled to a neighbouring city was found to have had COVID. It comes just days after Macau started to relax rules, reopening venues like casinos and dining in in restaurants. The two areas in China underscoring the never-ending uncertainty around dynamic zero COVID and the so-called whack-a-mole approach to the virus, which may further dent those recovery hopes. In Singapore, I'm Sam Bardis. Back to you. I just want to pick up on Sam's report. There's uh, some, been some coverage domestically out of uh, China that apparently more women are giving up on having babies because they are concerned about the very heavy-handed tactics by the government, effectively turning up and taking people from all generations out of families when they've got COVID positive cases and taking them away to quarantine facilities and it's just causing this level of uncertainty also the lack of income for some uh, parts of the economy when there are these uh, flare-ups in cases it's causing some people to step back and say well i don't exactly want to be having a family with these circumstances which is interesting as we talk about an aging population in china uh, yes it is completely opposite to what the government actually wants to happen at this stage it's been encouraged trying to encourage uh, people to increase the population uh, for some time now and rescinding obviously that decades old policy of limiting the number of children that people can have. But socially I think there are all sorts of problems. I mean l let's face it, the, the, the West has a, a, a pretty bad copybook at the moment on um, many of the issues that are facing governments challenging problems both social and economic but China also has some very serious issues to deal with and one of the phenomena that emerged over the last 18 months or so is the lying flat movement um, I don't know whether you've been following the detail on this it, it's it's known as Tang Ping um, in Mandarin but ultimately this is where young adults begin to give up ultimately they lose hope they become dissatisfied with work, they become unhappy about the social consequences of COVID and the government's attitude towards COVID and some of the heavy-handed tactics with the what they call the big whites. These are effectively, I think, PLA officers that are dressed in hazmat-style clothing who've been smashing uh, doors to get into people's homes. They've been killing pets. They've been doing all sorts of things that you wouldn't expect normally a civilised uh, government or community to do. Um, and so people are losing hope. And the property scandals and story is just the latest incarnation of that. And at an economic level, the uh, probes into corruption just continue. The latest, I don't know whether you saw it, the head of the chip fund is now under investigation. This is a very important body, key to China's technological uh, growth going forward, and yet another corruption investigation, and one of a series that are currently running parallel at the moment. And it's not surprising, perhaps, then, that people are very unhappy about a society that they're concerned about bringing children into. It's a delicate balance, isn't it, when we talk about the big hand of government, a government that stands ready to help and support you in times of difficulty versus one that takes authority too far. And, uh, of course, as we talk about the ability to have an exchange of views, I mean, there was this hashtag that started, we are the last generation, briefly went viral, of course, it was then shut down by the uh, Chinese authorities. So I think it's fascinating, the, the ability to exchange and sort of voice discontent also were being one of those issues I think that's just causing further pain across the community because they can't say what they want to say at this point.
But uh, let's move on and talk about uh, car sales out of China as those numbers are recovering. As production ramps up across the country, retail sales of passenger cars jumped by 20% on the year last month, according to the Car Passenger Association. The uh, 1.8 million vehicles number was reported. Now, new energy car sales more than doubled, almost a million. But Tesla sales slid by almost two-thirds to around 28,000 as a scheduled upgrade to a factory in Shanghai hampered production. Phil LeBeau has more on the electric revolution. This is the inflection point EV supporters have been waiting for, a surge in the manufacturing of electric vehicles and batteries, especially in the U.S. Late last month, Volkswagen started building the ID4 in Chattanooga, Tennessee. The Mercedes EQS will start rolling off the automaker's assembly line in Alabama later this month. And the new Ultium battery plant in Northeast Ohio will soon start churning out battery packs that will power GM EVs like the new Cadillac Lyric. They are some of the models driving the rapid growth in EVs in the U.S., with annual sales expected to top 2 million vehicles by 2025. And with Congress close to approving new incentives for those buying EVs, the number of plug-in models in the U.S. could grow even faster than forecast. Leading the way, Tesla, which has one of the top-selling models in America with the Model Y. Tesla's Fremont factory is now the largest auto plant in the U.S., an honor that could eventually go to the massive Gigafactory in Austin, Texas, which is steadily increasing production. Right now, Tesla sells more than two-thirds of the EVs in the U.S., but its market share is expected to slide as a slew of newer models, like the Ford F-150 Lightning, become more prevalent as production increases. Meanwhile, startups like Rivian are steadily growing their footprints. We'll find out if Rivian can meet its annual production guidance later this week, when the company reports its Q2 results after the bell on Thursday. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.